Welcome to Bible Star, everybody. It's great to see you tonight. Glad you're here. Looking forward to seeing what God has to say. I'm going to take a moment and pray, and then we'll get started with the Bible study. So let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, just a night to meet, a time to meet, a place to meet. I thank you for gathering us together. I ask God that you would lead us, guide us. I pray that we would be open to receive all that you want to say. I pray revelation tonight. I pray understanding tonight. I pray, God, that you would teach us, that you would train us. I pray, God, that our minds would be challenged tonight. I pray maybe even some change of heart, change of mind tonight that would take place. I pray, God, that we'd be affected by it. We'd be affected by your word would be affected by your presence. So God, have your way. I pray that we would be open to all that you want to do. We thank you for being here. We thank you, God, for your presence here. We ask God you'd have your way. We yield ourselves to you. If we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. Com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to John chapter 16. John 16, which is where we were last week, but we're moving on in the verses. John chapter 16. If you need a Bible, just grab one off the table. We have Bibles here for you to use. John chapter 16, and I need a volunteer, this is a long one, so choose wisely, John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. If I go, I will send them to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. All right, thanks for reading that. And uh, Jesus is continuing here, as we were talking about last week, he continues to strengthen his disciples, basically because he knows what they're about to go through. And uh, they are about to go through a trying time, a hard time, 
and he is taking the time to speak into them, to strengthen them, and to continue on as he speaks a word over them. In uh, verse 4, which we looked at last week, he was strengthening his disciples by forewarning them. In other words, he was telling them, this is what's happening, this is what's coming. And he gives them a prophetic word. He's like, this is the case. He forth, he foretells, and he also foretells something that is happening and who they are. He, he's just letting them know. And so he is speaking that kind of a strength into them. So in these verses... He's describing a little bit about what's happening with him leaving and and why it's a good thing. But in their sorrow, when they're hearing him saying he's going to leave them, he's going to go, they really couldn't see how it could be possibly a good thing. If you think about that, it's like your emotional state plays a part in how you interpret things. Your emotional state plays a part in how you understand things. Your emotional state plays a part in how you're able to receive things. And so Jesus is telling them, he's saying on one hand, I'm going to be leaving you, which think about them. Think about they had left everything to follow him. They left their families. They left their jobs. They, they literally left their households. They left everything to follow him. And so here they were following him. They've been following him for years. And he comes to him and he's like, well, I'm leaving you now. And so that created a, that's crisis. That's crisis because you got a people that these guys had done everything. They had dropped everything in order to, to follow after him. And now he's going to leave them. So in the midst of the crisis, they're having a hard time understanding. It's like, well, I'm going to leave you, but it's for your good. It's for the best. It's for better for me to leave you. But they just couldn't see it. And, and they, in fact, they said, even uh, you go back to John chapter 6, in verse 68, they, there was a verse there where Jesus asked them if they were going to leave him. Uh, the whole crowd had just abandoned him. He'd lost uh, thousands of people, just walked away from him. And the only people that were left there were the disciples. And he looked at him, he's like, well, are you going to leave me too? And their answer gives you a little insight as to the way they saw things, the way they understood their place, they understood what was going on around them. Their answer was, we don't have anywhere else to go. Simple as that. And implied there, maybe if they did have somewhere else to go, they would have went there, but they didn't have anywhere else to go. And so because they didn't have anywhere else to go, they were staying and they did say, he alone has the words of eternal life. And so you see back in chapter 6 that this was their mindset. They had left everything. They had dropped everything. They had walked away from everything. They had given everything. And here they were following after Jesus. And, and they had nowhere else to go. Nowhere. And so when Jesus is telling them, well, I'm going to leave you now, that created a crisis for them. And the crisis was that while they wouldn't leave him because they don't have anywhere else to go, he obviously does have somewhere else to go. And so he's taking that option and he's heading there. But he's leaving them. But he makes sure, and this is the strengthening part, even though they couldn't quite receive it right then, he's still speaking truth over them. He's still speaking the truth of the matter to them and over them. And it's important that even when people can't quite receive things, to still speak the truth over them. 
Because it's important. It's important to speak truth. It's important to declare truth. It's important to be, be a person that is still willing to speak the truth, even if somebody can't quite hear it or can't receive it in that moment. That doesn't mean that they're, they're not going to be able to receive it at another time. And so you just speak the truth and, and that's it. That's what you can do. And so Jesus is speaking the truth to them and this is what's happening. And so, he, he starts off and he makes this statement, whether your Bible says verily, verily, or truly I say. Uh, some Bibles will say he, he spoke this, that this was the fact. This is the fact. And he wanted him to understand that this is the truth. This is the fact, what he was about to say. And so he began to speak to him this truth. He began to speak to him this fact. But the words that he was about to utter would sound strange to his disciples. Again, they couldn't receive it. And so he's about to tell them something that's going to sound so weird to them that they're just not able to, to grab hold of it. But he's still going to say it. Do you understand what I'm saying about that? They didn't stop him from saying it because they couldn't quite grasp it. There's something powerful about the spoken word. There's something powerful about it. And we know that the Bible talks about God's word. And it speaks of God's word never returning void. And the reason is that God's word is creative by its nature. In other words, when he speaks, something is. Uh, he did that in creation. And he would speak, and it is. And what he spoke continues to be. That plants bearing seed after their, their predecessors continue to bear seed after their predecessors and, and trees go through the cycle of the seasons and they bloom in the spring. They, they're leafed in the summer. The leaves fall off in the fall and then they're bare in the winter time. But there's processes that go on within those trees that God spoke from the very beginning, day one, and they're continuing to this day. His word has never fallen to the ground and it never returns void. It, but it, it shows us something about why the spoken word is important. I'm not suggesting we're God. Of course not. And I'm not suggesting that all our words are creative. Of course not. But when we prophesy, pro prophecy is God's word. And there is a, a power to the prophetic word that it doesn't fall to the ground. There's a power to the prophetic word that it is creative. And so it's important that we speak what needs to be spoken. We say what needs to be said. And even if the person isn't able to quite receive it right then, as they weren't able to quite receive it, Jesus is still going to speak that word. Jesus is still going to prophesy that thing. Jesus is still going to be used to minister over them and speak what needs to be spoken over them, even if they're not in a position in that moment to be able to receive it. There's been lots of times where I've prophesied over people and they look at me when I'm done like I just was speaking in a different language. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Cool. But I've learned over the years that they don't need to know all the time right away because it could be a month later, it could be six months later, it could be a year later that something that was said over them makes sense to them all of a sudden, but they couldn't hear it right then. They, they just didn't have it. They didn't know what was going on right then. And I've had people come back to me and say, that word you gave me, it, you know, I, at first I heard it, I thought it was craziness, but then a year later, X, Y, and Z happened. It made perfect sense, and, and thank you for doing that. Thank you for being obedient. All right. Well, be obedient. 
And that then that's happened over and over and over again. It's not just one time. And I think about all the people that didn't come back to me because I didn't see them again. Or all the people that didn't have a chance to to tell me, well, this happened, you know, two years later, this happened six months later, whatever it was. And there's plenty of people like that too. Be obedient. Allow the Holy Spirit to use you. Speak when you need to speak. Say what you need to say. Even if the person is standing there like, ah, I don't know what you're talking about. That's all right. They may not in that moment. But it's still important to speak it. Jesus here is speaking to them. He's giving them the facts. These are the facts. And so he speaks the facts to them. But it just sounded weird to them. They couldn't hear it. They couldn't receive it. And so he starts off and says, here's the fact. The fact is it is best. That's a great word. He's talking about his death. He's talking about his resurrection. He's talking about his ascension. He's leaving them. And he's telling them, they're scared to death he's leaving. They're hurt that he's leaving. They're upset that he's leaving. They have nowhere else to go he's leaving. And so they don't know how to respond to that. But he's looking at them and saying, but this is the best. It's the best that I go. Man, they couldn't hear that. They could not hear that. And you think about things like that in your life that you can, you probably can't hear because of your emotional response or because of your hurt or because your confusion or because you're afraid. I mean, scared people don't hear things. You know, that's, that's a fact. Emotionally distraught people don't hear things. I was just talking to somebody today. We we're just recounting different things that happened. Uh, you know, and, and I was talking about working on an ambulance or talking about being in the fire service. But people, scared people, and people that are emotionally distraught don't listen. And and I'm not saying that that's bad, good, or indifferent. I'm just saying that's the fact. And you don't get mad about it. It's just they just don't listen. And so lots of times, especially when you got to move somebody, you got to get somebody somewhere they need to go, you're going to have to put your arm around them, you're going to have to take them by the hand or something and move them. And, and it's not something you'd normally do. It's not something that you would do with a person that you just meet or anything like that. But because of the situation, because of the circumstance, and because of the way human beings react to stressful situations, sometimes you have to literally physically move somebody because they can't follow the instructions to follow you. Even if they're in a dangerous situation, they'll just stand there. Now you need to come on. And you can try to convince them, you can try to talk them into it, or you can just take them by the arm and let's go. And most time, you just take them by the arm, let's go because time is of the essence. So, so we look at that and, and I want you to think about that missing God because you're upset. Right? You're missing God because you're afraid. You're missing something that God's trying to sell you something because, uh, you're, you're just mad or you're, you're angry or you're frustrated or whatever the emotional situation that you find yourself in. Well, that's a, that's a hard place to be because we have a natural human reaction to certain things. But then we also have a supernatural God trying to speak to us in those situations, trying to speak to us through those situations. So to be able to find, and I don't know how to explain this any better than this, but be able to find the peace that only God can give. 
And it is supernatural. But to expect it, to look for it, and to take hold of it when you find it. But to take that peace. Because just because something's a natural human reaction doesn't mean you have to do it. It just means that you have a tendency toward it. Because maybe you're in a situation and you're experiencing one of those emotions. You're experiencing one of those situations. You're afraid. You're angry. You're frustrated. You, whatever it is, but you're experiencing that. Well, you recognize that and you got to find that peace that's in the situation that God brings. Because as God speaks, we need to hear. As God directs, we need to take hold of that and do it. Because hearing what he says and doing what he says, that's the best. That is the best. And that's what this verse is telling us. That's the best. They couldn't hear it, but he was telling them what the best thing was. They were distraught, but he's like, this is the best. And he's like, this is the truth. I am giving you the facts right now. This is the best. Couldn't hear it. But he's still going to tell them. I want to put myself in a position, and I'm sure these guys found themselves in similar positions down the road where they could hear. Because they found the peace that comes in that situation. They found the peace that God gives. And so when everyone else around them has distraught or worried or mad or angry or rioting or whatever that was going on around them, they were able to hear God. And they were able to do something different. They were able to do something that was not just going along with the crowd, not just making the best decision they can, you know, at the time with their lizard brain, but to actually hear God for the best option. Here's the best. I want to know the best. I want to do the best. Everything else is kind of a waste of time, right? The best is where we need to be. And so... He, he tells him, he's like, this is the best. This is to your advantage, to your profit, to your gain. Because it is to your advantage, to your profit, and to your gain to hear what the best is and to do it. Like I said, everything else is kind of a waste of time. It's a waste of effort. It's a waste of energy. And so our best idea, the, the thing that is the brightest and, and, and best idea that could ever come into our head does, it pales in comparison to his best for us. It just does. No matter how smart you are, no matter how awesome you are, you, you're going to come up with some idea, you're going to make it up, it'll be nowhere near as good as what God's best is for you. Nowhere near. And that's true for decisions that need to be made, relationships, that's true for jobs, that's true for money, that's true for family, that's true for how you treat people, it's true for friends, it's true for all those things. His best is always going to be better than whatever's in your brain. And things pop in your brain, I, where they come from, who knows? Who knows? But they get in your head and that's it. Well, we want the best. I want the best. And so we have to put ourselves in a position, find that peace in the moment that Jesus brings and get a hold of the best. That's his word for us. That's his word. It's to our advantage, our profit. It's to our gain. And here's what he said. He's like, if Jesus, Jesus is talking about, if Jesus didn't go away, because that's what they're all worried about, him going away. 
They're all concerned about it. They're all hurt about it. They're all sorrowful about it. And they're all afraid because Jesus is going away. They, they come to depend on him. I mean, here he was leading the pack. There they were, kind of dumb, but following after him. And they realized that he's the one leading the pack. And it was time for him to go. They're afraid. They're scared. They're scared. Are they up to it? Who knows? That's how you get thrown in. You, you don't know. And so they're afraid of what's about to happen. But Jesus says, if Jesus did not go away, if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit won't come. And what that indicates to me, if Jesus hadn't gone away, this is why it's to their advantage, why it's the best thing possible, is to their profit, to their gain. Jesus needs to go away so the Holy Spirit comes. And if he doesn't go away, the Holy Spirit's not going to come. And what that speaks to, and if you've never heard that, I want you to let that sink in. Jesus had to go away, or the Holy Spirit would not have come. That's what he says. Let it sink in. <coughs> and so he, he speaks that to him. He speaks that over them. He's like, this is the best. This is what it is, is that you want the Holy Spirit to come. So i got to go away. Got to do it. There's no choices. And that speaks to, it speaks to an order to things. That's what it speaks to. It's like there's going to be a certain order. It's a necessity that it happened. And you think about the work of Jesus, and there is a revelation that comes through Jesus for the whole world. That there needed to be a revelation that comes through Jesus. And that revelation needed to be present before the work of the Holy Spirit was going to be done. And that revelation involved the full, the full work of Jesus that he needed to get done before the Holy Spirit would come. And so part of that is his teaching. Part of that is demonstration of the power. Part of that is a demonstration of his love and his mercy and his grace. Part of that is for people to begin to understand that the Father had a plan for them and it was a plan of restoration over their lives. It was important that people began to understand that this was the work of God. This was the plan of God from the very beginning and this is how it was going to take place. That was the revelation. But Jesus also needed to die on the cross to bring about the fullness of what that salvation would be, to bring about the forgiveness of sins, to bring about freedom from sin, to bring about life, and that more abundantly, victory over death, hell, and the grave, and all the things that the cross accomplished, a restoration of physical bodies, a restoration of all that God had created, and all had to take place, and then it wouldn't have been enough for him just to die. He needed to rise again. That needed to happen. And then he needed to ascend to the Father. All that needed to happen. And that was the order of things. That was the necessity of things. <coughs> Jesus then, as he entered into his kingdom, Jesus then, as he entered into his full authority, Jesus then, as he entered into who he really is, became, as part of his office and part of who he was, he became the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And so from that position, he would then baptize the church in the Holy Spirit. 
I mean, John the Baptist prophesied that. He's like, I prophesy on water. The one who comes after me, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Right. Right. That was prophesied. That was something that they knew. That was something that had been spoken. That was something that had been prophesied. That was something that was a known thing. Jesus would have to go through what he was going to go through, the appropriate order of things, the appropriate way that it was going to happen, the necessity of it all. And remember, main part of the necessity of it was the revelation that he brought. And that revelation had to do with his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. There was a revelation in each part of that. But that needed to take place. It was the order of things for the Holy Spirit to come. So unless he he went away, unless he left them, the Holy Spirit would not have come. The Holy Spirit is described as the comforter in some of your Bibles. Some of your Bibles, he's described as the advocate. And those two words have some similar meanings. One is a little more archaic than the other, but they have similar meanings. And the idea that he is on your side, he is working on your behalf, he is with you to help you and to comfort you. It's part of his work as a comforter, part of his work as an advocate. That he is the one, he will represent you, he will stand for you, he will speak for you, he will help you to do whatever it is that you're doing. And so there was a relationship that was beginning here. And Jesus was speaking not only to the disciples, but he's also speaking to us how many years later, and also speaking to the world. His disciples, they looked at him like, we don't want you to go. And they were afraid for him to go. And yet, if he didn't go, then the Holy Spirit wouldn't have been set. But the Holy Spirit falls on anybody and everybody. The Holy Spirit's worldwide. The Holy Spirit's reaching people, you know, millions at a time. Jesus was one man in a physical body, and he was preaching to maybe thousands at a time. He was discipling 12 at a time, but the Holy Spirit would completely and utterly revolutionize how that would take place, because he could be everywhere all the time. He could be teaching people in Indonesia, and there could be people being taught in, in Africa, and there could be other people being taught in China. And it's all at the same time. It's all concurrent. And it's all these people all the time. The Holy Spirit has no boundary. And that he would baptize the church and make that baptism available throughout the ages and throughout history. Now, if somebody wants to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, then Jesus is still baptized in the Holy Spirit. Just like he did on the day of Pentecost. Just like he did throughout the book of Acts. Just like he was doing throughout church history. You know, descriptors and, and shocked, shocked when I took a, a church history class. I took an Age of Reformation class. I was shocked at the number of church leaders, popes, bishops, cardinals that were baptized in the Holy Spirit and that were moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit during that time frame. Yeah. Still going on. 1,500 years later, still going on. Still going on now. But Jesus had to go for that to happen. He had to go. That was the order of 
things. It's how it was meant to be. So think about who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit, he, he, uh, he comes and He dwells with us. That's part of it. And, and part of it is that He continues to bring revelation into our lives. That's important. And so we have, need to have an expectation of revelation. Jesus, like I said, is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. In other words, He immerses us in the Holy Spirit. But we need the Holy Spirit for His work of revelation in our lives. God speaks. Now you think about this, and and this is an important thing. The Bible is going to be written after Jesus. Jesus is gone. All right, Bible's going to be written. The day of Pentecost comes, and they're all baptized in the Holy Spirit. So, so as the Bible is being written, the process is described in the Scriptures is that God, and and if I had a whiteboard, I'd draw it for you, but God breathes into people, men, speaks to them. They're able to hear what he says, and then they take that word and they write it down. So we get a book, the Bible. And so all these things have been written down. It's happened throughout the Old Testament. It's about to happen in the New Testament. So you'll have this written record. Now the issue becomes, you got a written record, then how does that have any meaning? Because you can say, well, I'll just read it and I'll know what it means. Well, that's partially true. That is partially true. But it is inspired. In other words, the Holy Spirit had breathed into these men and they had taken that and they had written that down. And so I'm going to suggest that in order for us to really fully understand what has been written there, the same Holy Spirit that breathed those words into into them needs to breathe into us so that we can take those words off the page and they can be living in us the same way that they were living in them. So in other words, they had received this revelation from God, brought the scriptures to us. Well, that scripture, that book is just a book. There's no life in that book until the Holy Spirit infuses that, infuses the hearer or the reader, and all of a sudden, those words take on the life that they were written in. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in us and why that's a necessity. Because then those words take on the life in which they were written in, and then we can gain the understanding that the writer had. That's the dynamic of it. That's the actual dynamic of the work of the Holy Spirit bringing revelation to us. And that's just one means of revelation. That's the Bible. There's other means of revelation. There's visions and there's dreams and there's all these other things, but we have this one standard that's written and the words don't change on the pages. But that standard then gets brought to life, though, by the same Holy Spirit that inspired it to begin with. That Holy Spirit needs to, He needs to inspire you. He needs to inspire you. He needs to breathe into you so that you can understand it. And see, that was the powerful thing with the Reformation was that, that there was actually believed 
that Martin Luther believed, that John Calvin believed, that these guys actually believed that you could read the Bible and receive the meaning, understanding, and the revelation as it was meant to be had. You. Not just a special person. Not just a priest or a monk or somebody like that, but you, the everyday person. That's why, that's why uh, Martin Luther spent all the time translating the Bible into German. So people could read it and the Holy Spirit could take those words off the page and bring them to life in people's lives. I mean, that, that was why he bothered to do that. And so this is a, a powerful takeaway that the Holy Spirit does in our life as he brings God's word, his revelation, alive in us. And so, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, that's, that's him. That's him. And, and he describes a few things that the Holy Spirit does. Very specific things that, in these verses that the Holy Spirit does. Because the Holy Spirit is directly working with you. That's what he does. He directly works with you and he creates the application of the Word of God in your life. Now, how is the Word of God applied in your life? Well, that's what, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. And so what's described in these verses is the way that the, the Holy Spirit is actually applied to your, the, the Word of God is actually applied to your life. And so he begins with this idea of conviction. That he convicts, the, the idea of conviction, reproof, and what those words mean, they describe a process, a convincing, but they describe a process of mind change, of convincing. That, and you read those words, and I know some of you are brought up in religious backgrounds, you're going to hear certain things when you hear conviction and reproof. Yeah, you're going to hear certain things. You can't help it. It's been drilled into you. And so you got these religious definitions of that when the actual language is really simple about it. It's, it's, it's not, nothing complicated. It describes, and I'm going to say this again, a convincing. It's a process of mind change. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. He goes through in you gently, actually, the process of mind change of convincing you. And they use the word sin here. And sin is an interesting word because it probably has a bigger meaning than what you think. Jesus, as he began to teach and preach, you look at the Sermon on the Mount and beyond, he looks at sin a lot differently than they did, than the people of the day. The religious leaders who had taught the people, so everybody, saw sin a certain way. And Jesus was really speaking to them about sin being more than what they think. And Jesus took that idea of sin and he brought it back to their hearts. It wasn't just the physical actions. In other words, they, they, they looked at sin like, well, if I actually do it, then I sin. Well, you know, if I actually kill my brother, then I've committed murder. Or if I actually 
you know, do whatever it is I'm going to do, then I, that, that's the actual sin. Well, Jesus said, no. If you hate your brother in your heart, in other words, you're entertaining hatred in your heart, you're entertaining the, the, that type of feeling toward your brother and you're, you're just maintaining that in your life, then you've already killed him. And, and that was shocking because they all figured, well, no matter what's not going on inside, if I keep myself from actually doing something that's wrong, then, then I'm good. I'm good. And the fact is, though, that Jesus is saying that sin's a lot bigger than that, and it comes from, it proceeds from your heart. So what needs to really change in you is inside. And so he takes the battle from looking good. He takes the battle from acting right. He takes the battle from saying the right stuff and puts it directly into your heart, into your mind. And he's like, that's where the battle is. The battle is inside of you. The battle is, is a spiritual battle that takes place inside of you. Where you say it's your heart, your mind, whatever you want to say, but that battle is taking place inside of you. And that was his word to them. And that idea of sin all of a sudden became not just what you see me do, but what's actually going on in me. And that's a much bigger question, a much bigger picture. Because you can fool people. I mean, you can. You can fool people. And you can act a certain way and you can talk a certain way and people will believe you because they want to believe you and they'll continue believing you. Even if you mess up, they'll still believe you because they want to believe you. And that's just the way it is. But that's not what we're talking about. That's not what's going on here. That's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. It's just not. Yeah, I've told you this. Some I, I was in churches, and this is back when I was first starting to go around preaching and teaching and traveling from church to church. And I, there was one church in particular I remember I was in. I don't know where it was, but it was somewhere in the middle of nowhere, uh, like Penyan. It wasn't Penyan, but it was somewhere out kind of in the middle of nowhere. And and that's no offense to anyone from Penyan or who lives in the middle of nowhere. It's a very nice place in the middle of nowhere. Anyway, so I'm in this church in the middle of nowhere, and I, I get done my sermon. I forget what I was talking about, and these two old ladies, I mean super old ladies, come up. And I mean, they were totally serious, too. They came up to me, and God bless you, brother. I'm like, bless you, ma'am. Blah, blah, blah. He's like, like, they're telling me their story. And as part of their story, they told me, both of them said this, they each said this, that they had not sinned in word or deed in 40 years. And they were totally serious. But man, I wonder what's going on inside their heads. Not that I believe they haven't sinned in word or deed in 40 years, but you, you got to wonder what's going on inside of these people. You know, I don't know. I don't care. I'm not making bold claims. I, I can't make a bold claim I haven't sinned in word or deed in 40 years. I can't even make a bold claim I didn't sin in word or deed today. Or in the last hour. Yeah, last hour. So, I'm not making any bold claims here. All I'm saying is, is that, that we have a propensity to fool ourselves. And if, if all we're trying to do is fool the people around us. If, if everything's external, then we miss the point of the gospel. 
Because the gospel isn't about changing you on the outside. The gospel is about changing you on the inside. And that's exactly what Jesus was talking about. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is to, you know, part of his work is to convince and lead us in a process of mind change that, that what's happening is he wants to change us on the inside. The inside. Where sin originates. That means our, our heart needs to change. That means our mind needs to change. That means we need to change inwardly if we're going to ever see anything that matters change on the outside. And so, so the, the idea here is switching the, the, what people are worried about. Switching what people are all concerned about from what other people see to what really matters that's going on inside of me. That's what needs to change. And that's the danger of being so concerned about what people think of you. Is in that overrules other stuff that matters more. If you're concerned about what people think of you, that drive in you will overrule some of the stuff that God wants to do to change you on the inside. Stuff that no one can see. No one's impressed by what's going on inside of you because they can't see it. And there may come a day where that manifests in your physical life and then people will be able to see some change and stuff, but it doesn't happen right away. God's changing you on the inside first, if you allow it. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the convincing, the process of mind change that needs to take place in us about sin in our lives. To stop. To stop it. And even the whole idea of sin you know, that, that kind of idea of sin. You know, our first condition was sin. I mean, because of Adam, right? But Adam, his first condition wasn't sin. His first condition was freedom. His first condition was, was whatever it was God created him to be. That was it. Our first condition, though, is sin because of him. And so we're in, we enter into this process. We enter into this process. And then he, he uses this, this term. Uh, he uses a term here. He says righteousness, of righteousness. Well, it ain't my righteousness. The Bible tells us that your righteousness is as filthy rags. I mean, it just straight up tells you that. Whether you want to believe that or not, that's okay. But the Bible says that your righteousness is filthy rags. So this ain't talking about your righteousness. The Holy Spirit's work in you is it to create filthy rags. All right? So this is not my righteousness. This is not something that is mine. But it's the righteousness of God that I obtain by faith. That's what it is. And, and the idea of righteousness is the idea of right standing before God. And he provides that right standing through our faith in him. You know, Abraham was made righteous by what? Anybody know? His faith. Not the works that he did, but by his faith. Because you look at Abraham, and he didn't live a perfect life. He sinned in word and deed. All right? He did. And it's all recorded in the Bible just for you to read. You know, the Bible's one of the only books that will record every fault of every hero that's portrayed in the Bible. You know every fault these guys have. All right? And there's a reason for that, because it's not about them. 
It's not about them. You, you know that Peter and Paul, that Peter had messed up when he was in the church where he was eating with the Gentiles but then denied it when he got around the believers. You know he messed up with that. How do you know that? Because you can read it. He was, a, he was like the, one of the leaders of the early church. There he was, messing up. But you know it because you can read it. You know, you read Abraham, messes up. You read uh, David, one of the great heroes of the Bible, but you read about him messing up more than once, too. More than once. More than just Bathsheba. Don't forget the time he numbered Israel. That messed him up, too. And there were other times that David messed up. All right. Solomon messed up all over the place. We know this. Why? You can read it. All of these guys, they, they were, they were awesome. In their faith, all of them. Think about Jacob. How many times does that guy mess up? I mean, his name, his name, his name means deceiver. <laughs> all right? That guy, I mean, really, seriously. And, and it was him that it, it, God changed his name to Israel. This was a matter of faith, though. This wasn't their righteousness. Righteousness comes by faith. Always has. Always will. And you can make something else up. You can pretend to be something else, but it isn't going to cut it. Righteousness comes by faith. And it always has. This isn't a new concept. People like to take things in their own hands and they like to do things themselves. Yeah, except for it doesn't work. And so you may need to fight that in your life. Because that's not how this works. The work of the Holy Spirit is to convince you over time in a process about what's messed up in your life. Because sin essentially is just missing the mark. Missing the mark of what? Missing the mark of what God has his best for you. That's what sin is. It literally means to miss the mark. Like you're shooting an arrow and it flies off into the field. And you got to go hunt it down. That's sin. Right. And so when we get in our lives, we're getting ourselves going and stuff and we're looking and say, OK, what matters? What doesn't matter? Blah, blah, blah. We're making our decisions. Well, sometimes we're going to miss the mark. Well, the Holy Spirit's job in us, part of that job in us is to convince us over time that that's messed up. And get us back toward the best that God has for us. That's his job. That's what he does. And you think about, you got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's just more of the Holy Spirit. You're just immersed in the Holy Spirit. Well, it, it, what it does is it begins to amplify his work in your life. It's funny because there's a, a moment with people. It's like, all right, you got people, they come to know Jesus. You got people that are on fire for God. You got people that are committed to coming to stuff and they're doing stuff. And then it reaches a point, it's like, and I don't know if you've ever thought this, because I think this all the time. There's a reason for this. If we could only get them baptized in the Holy Spirit, they'd really lock in. That'd really help them out a lot. It'd help them to live. It'd help them to grow. It'd help them to become everything God wants them to be. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. That is absolutely correct. Why? It's just more amplified of the work of the Spirit in their life. 
It's more amplified of, of the Holy Spirit's function of convincing and leading them through a process, showing them where they've gone off track and leading them back toward God's best in their life. That's what it's about. And this way, as they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, they can do it with power. God thought it was important enough that he, that he brought the church together and Jesus baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the whole church at that time, 120 people. He thought it was that important. And it would be that church that would leave that day from that place and they would literally change the world that they lived in. Literally. Why? Because of this process taking place in their lives. Going, going for what is best. Not what they think is best. Because what you think is best is likely not what God says is best for you. And this is likely not what you've been told, what I'm telling you right now. So let it sink in a little bit. And then he mentions the word judgment. Did you see that one? He's like, you got conviction, reproof of sin. You got righteousness. And then you got judgment. And judgment, that word indicates, again, a gradual separation from our ways to God's ways. A gradual Separation from our ways to God's ways. Yeah. And this whole idea of unbelief. Because how do I say you obtain how you obtain righteousness? Faith. And the idea of unbelief is in specifically unbelief in Jesus. Because people will tell you, say, well, I believe in God. Yep. But specifically, if you want to enter into a righteousness, you want to enter into God's best for your life, you want to enter into God's ways for your life, if you're going to do those kind of things, there has to be a specific belief in Jesus. But unbelief is the cause of sin in our life. Unbelief, all sin has a root in unbelief. And when we miss the mark because of our unbelief, what do I mean by unbelief? Not trusting God, right? Not believing God. Not believing that he has his best for you. Not believing that his plan is the best. Not believing that his time is the best. Not believing his purposes are the best. See, that's unbelief. And that unbelief in Jesus and the work that Jesus has for us and the the best that Jesus has for us, that unbelief causes us to miss the mark of our life and at least a disorder, disorder and chaos. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. At least a disorder and chaos in our lives. That's what happens. I'm going to do it my way. Yeah? Why does that always lead to disorder and chaos? Because you missed. You missed it. All right. It's too. It's not too late, though, you know. Because the Holy Spirit, there he is. Hey, you missed it. 
You can tell because of the disorder and chaos in your life. Look around. Here, this is the best way over here. And he's, he's leading you through a process of convincing you of that, of leaving behind the old ways and taking on the ways of God. Got a couple of verses for you. First John 5, 6. Somebody look up that one. First John 5, 6. Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. Alright, thanks. So what you see in there is an order of things. Remember I was talking to you about order? That's the order of things. That's the order of things. And I just I guess I wrote down the verse there at the end just to kind of revisit that. That this isn't just some made-up order. This is the established order. This is what God has said. And, and so we need to accept his order. It's the best. It's definitely the best. So you look at John 15 and verse 20. John fifteen twenty six. excuse me. When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth proceeds from the Father. He will testify of me. All right. So just another a verse talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit bringing revelation. The Holy Spirit bringing understanding. The Holy Spirit setting things gently into order. The Holy Spirit bringing about a process of mind change in us. Because He speaks the truth. He speaks what's best. And so we need to work on what's our part in this. Well, we need to be pliable. We need to be open. And you need to apply some faith. You need to apply some faith. Faith in Jesus specifically. That his plan and his purpose and what he's doing is the best. And let that faith give you the courage. Give you the courage to change your mind. To change the way you're seeing things. And take on God's perspective instead. Because it's always better. It's always the best. And let that separation happen between your ways and God's ways. Your ways need to go. And I know we're proud of our ways, but they're not the best. They're just our ways. They're the best we came up with. But God's ways are the best. A lot better than the ways you came up with. And I know you got your mindset and everything, but it's not the best. So something in us needs to cry out that you want the best. And this is how you get it. This is how you get it. Let's take a minute and just pray. And uh, I'm just going to ask you to respond to maybe something God's speaking to you tonight.
I don't know, there's a few things I think he's been saying fairly consistently to us as a people. And and just let that speak to you. Let that continue to speak to you. I want you to think about even through the teachings that you've been hearing, and there's a gradual work of the Holy Spirit through those in changing your mind, if you allow it. There's a gradual process taking place where you're being encouraged to leave your ways and take hold of God's ways. And I think he just totally orchestrates that over time. It's just partly how he does things. And if the Spirit of God is alive in you tonight, which I believe he is, he's active in you tonight, which I believe he is, some of us more than others, but he's active. Allow him, allow him the space in your mind to really just begin to convince you, to show you the best. Just allow for it. Get provision for the Holy Spirit to show you the best. Lay down your, your best, whatever that is, even for a moment, maybe you'll see his best. You're sick of the chaos and the disorder. You need his best. Thank you, God. Don't let fear stop you from hearing him tonight. Don't let your hurt stop you from hearing him tonight. Don't let your frustration stop you from hearing him tonight. Thank you, Lord. I just believe God's just changing people's minds. And I mean, it could be something small and very slow, but that's what he does. It's what he does. It's how he does it. And I just believe that's going on here tonight. So I think we're in a good place to yield. I think we're in a good place to to let God. I think we're in a good place to listen. And maybe leave a few things behind. Some old ways. And maybe take a hold of some of God's ways. 
some more. More. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. I just want to encourage you just to take a moment and worship Him. Just exalt Him. Put Him on the throne He belongs on in your heart and in your life. Just tell Him. Just tell Him He's great. Tell Him He's good. Tell Him He's right. Yeah. Tell Him that, that, that you love Him. Thank Him for loving you. Just take a moment. Just, just worship Him a minute. And I mean just a minute. I don't want to take very long on this, but just, just worship Him. And just exalt Him. And magnify Him in your life. Just, uh, just put Him in a place where He's God. And you're not. And, and find some rest in that. Find some peace in that right now. Find some peace in His goodness. Find some peace in His greatness. Find some peace in, in, in a, that He's just bigger than anything that you're facing right now. Find some peace in that he's more powerful than anything that's coming against you right now. Find some rest in that, that he loves you so much. He keeps talking to you and he keeps, he, he keeps trying to nudge you toward him. He wants you. He wants your life. He wants who you are. He desires you. And find some rest and peace in that. The God who heals, the God, the God who makes whole, a God of, of mercy and grace, a God of patience over our lives, a God of long suffering, a God that's willing to wait for you to do what, whatever it is needs to happen. He's waiting. Gentle, loving, patient. He's waiting. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, we give you thanks tonight. Give you praise. Be God in us. Have your way, Jesus. For we ask it in your strong and powerful name. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Well, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 